The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 21st chapter. After this, Jesus revealed again, uh, revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin or Didymus, uh, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, <coughs> We will go with you. They went out and got in the boat. That night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come, have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had, he said to him a third time, do you love me? And so he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the gospel of the Lord.
Howdy. Um, has anyone here, like in college or just maybe when they were trying to find themselves or hopefully maybe in high school, have you read the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? Anybody? Man's Search for Meaning. All right. So it's one of, uh, you know, like the classics of the 20th century. Um, the first half of the book recounts Viktor Frankl's experiences um, in the concentration camps. And then the second half of the book is his theory of life or worldview um, that he developed while he was a prisoner in a concentration camp. Um, and uh, basically, um, he comes down to the idea that there's two kinds of people in life. And he presents the two kinds of people not just by saying it, but by telling a short story. He talks about his traveling mate um, as he's walking home from being liberated from the concentration camp. He was there all four or five years during World War II. Um, And, you know, because they didn't give you a ticket home when you got liberated from the concentration camp. You had to walk home. But anyways, he's walking home and he's walking through Poland and he's with his friend and Viktor Frankl has gotten to a place where he's like, I was treated so poorly that I can never treat someone else this way. Everyone is worthy of life. All right. But his traveling companion is really angry. And he says, I have been treated so poorly that I need to hurt as many people as possible because I have been hurt. And how this is evidenced is they're walking through a field with cabbage plants and they've just sprouted. And he notices that he himself, he's walking around the cabbage sprouts trying not to step on them because that would be unkind to the cabbage farmer in Poland. Whereas the guy he's walking with home and talking to is stepping on every single one he can get the chance to step on while still not being an encumbrance for the journey home. And so basically, maybe it boils down to pessimist and optimist. It can also be the way of the wicked and the way of the Lord. But so clearly it is just this one or that one, and it's all about how you view the world, through what lens. And so I myself was shifted in my worldview in my last year of seminary by, uh, come hell or high water, reading the book of Revelation in Greek over the course of five weeks uh, and studying it. And everything changed when I got to this chapter, Revelation 5, when we get the vision of the Lamb who's in the midst of the throne room. It's not really clear who's on the throne. And you get a vision, a predictable view, a vision of hope for us Christians that can preserve us 
both through suffering and through defeat in the face of human evil. Jesus gives us this victorious vision of him as lamb for us, us who believe. And he hopes that the vision will give repentance and faith in him alone, for he is the lamb who was slain. Um, I hope you caught just how much of uh, at the Lamb's High Feast we sing was in here. Uh, It's all based on this Revelation chapter 5. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, uh, be blessing, honor, glory, and might forever and ever. Actually, uh, Jeremy, what am I thinking of? Okay, say it again. Worthy is Christ. Worthy is Christ. All right, nice. All right. Uh, no, but it's not uh, the glory and excelsis that we did today. What's the other one? Yeah, worthy is Christ. Okay, so it's called worthy is Christ. This is the feast. This is the feast. There we go. This is the feast. So, you know, blessing and honor and glory and might be to God and the Lamb forever. Amen. This is the feast of victory for our God. It's a combination of Revelation 5 and Revelation 19. Smushed together. The two most glorious visions. Anyways, um, chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation believe it or not, are visions of the ascension of Jesus Christ from the point of view of heaven. And I think that's just fantastic and great because for the first time in forever, we get a vision into heaven and what it's like up there. Unfortunately, for many people, it looks like liturgical worship. (laughs) Uh, But anyways, um, it's just how it is. They're up there, and um, on the right hand of the one seated on the throne, there's a scroll, okay? And it has seven seals. Also a Johnny Depp movie. Or no, that's the ninth gate. Forgive me. The seventh seal is like a movie from the 40s. Um, So there's seven seals on this vision. It's a scroll, all right? Now, uh, a Roman last will and testament would be sealed with seven seals, all right, to testify that this was it, the last will and testament. Uh, no one had opened it. Seven different official people had sealed it shut. Um, who's worthy to open it, right? Usually the next of kin. Maybe uh, the next of kin for the lawyer to read it. But this mighty angel looks around and says, who's worthy to open up this vision? this scroll to break its seals. And John, who's caught up in this vision, looks around and no one is worthy to open up the seal. So what are the implications of that? It means no one on heaven and on earth is worthy, is holy enough, is able to open up the future of the church. And this is highly depressing. 
John thinks, well, we might as well throw in the towel. He starts to cry. Rome's just going to crush us. No more Christian church. No one is, you know, has the, uh, the gumption to take up the mantle of Jesus and lead the church forward. And so something mysterious happens. He weeps loudly because no one was worthy to open the scroll or look in it. But it says one of the elders, you know, grabs him on the shoulder and talks to him. Now, it's easy to just glance by that, just hearing this as we read through it interspersedly over the course of a few Sundays. But if you sit down and you read it in one sitting, it'll take you like an hour and 15 minutes. It's very edifying. I did it yesterday. Um, You'll realize that this is one of the 24 elders from the last chapter and later in this chapter. Now, what does that mean? Now, besides uh, meaning that the... uh, uh, Not going to go there today. Anyways, so the 12 patriarchs from the Old Testament, the 12 apostles from the New Testament... So good old Paul makes it in there. Judas gets thrown out. So that means that one of these individuals grabbed John on the shoulder. Now, John being a faithful Jewish young man, who will stand out to John to deliver an optimistic and positive vision of the future of the church to John? Who grabs him on the shoulder? Is it Moses? Does Abraham grab him on the shoulder? Does Elijah grab him on the shoulder? I don't know. Let's move on to the apostles. Does Peter grab him on the shoulder? Does James, John's older brother, who was beheaded in the street seemingly for nothing, does he grab John on the shoulder and tell him everything's going to be all right, Jesus wins? Or if you want to be spooky or weird and you grew up watching movies that could pull this off, you picture in your head maybe John himself as an older man grabbed his younger self on the shoulder and said, chill out. Everything's going to be all right. Have faith. And then you ask yourself, maybe this is why, after he receives the revelation, he begins to refer to himself in the epistles as John the Elder. For he sees that what Jesus said was true, he will live out his days. Regardless, regardless of whether it's Paul, whether it's Moses, whether it's his older brother who just died and he's grieving, whether it's his own self. He grabs him on the shoulder and he says, Weep no more, John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The future of the church is not in human hands. It's in the lamb's hands, Jesus Christ. The one who was slain, whose blood covers our sin. It's in his hands.
Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Don't give up. Don't look to the present situation or even the past or wonder about the future because of your church. Your church may not look like what it used to look like. It may not look like what you want it to look like right now. And you may have doubts about the future of it. But don't worry. It's in the hands of the risen Lamb, Jesus Christ. God is here. He's giving himself to you. He's giving forgiveness and life to you. Imagine if you can kind of put yourself into the mindset of a New Testament, Old Testament Christian. There are little arrows, grace, coming down into this altar and shooting out to you. And then when you are praying, when you are responding in song, in worship, in praise, little arrows shoot out of you of thanksgiving. They go into this altar and they go up to the Lord. Let our prayers rise before him as incense, he says. Your church works. It has an altar. God's here. Your church works. You receive the forgiveness of sins as often as you come in here. You hear Jesus' words. It works. We just need a mission, right? We need to be given a mission from the Lord as John was given, as Peter was given. Peter, you know, from his character, Jesus has been dead. And he says, you know what, guys? Let's go fishing. That's what we know how to do. Someone's got to pay the bills, right? So they go back to fishing. It's what they're comfortable with. And they fish and they fish and they fish and they don't catch anything because Jesus, who has called them to be fishers of men, would not have them catch fish any longer, but people. He already gave them a mission, but now he's got to come remind them. So as they fish... Here comes the light of the world on the shore. They don't even recognize him. In fact, Peter doesn't recognize him, and he doesn't recognize him for a while. You know, he's stripped, which is an interesting note. He doesn't have any clothes on because he's fishing. And John recognizes Jesus. He's like, hey, it's Jesus. And Peter, without even making sure or checking, acting in faith, jumps out of the boat, and he swims to shore. Breakfast is already there. All-inclusive. And all of a sudden, you know, skipping a whole bunch of stuff, Peter has a private moment with Jesus. They reconcile because, of course, Peter has denied Jesus three times on uh, Maundy Thursday. Um, And so, of course, Jesus confirms his love with Peter three times. You know, sometimes we need that from Jesus. We just need him to drill it into our heads. But 
before I move on, it's important to note, Judas, yes, he goes out and weeps and he regrets denying Jesus three times, but he doesn't stay there like Judas does. Peter repents and trusts in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so we close out this message from John with uh, the cornerstone. Well, I guess we have two cornerstones here at the church. It's on the front cover. It says, you know, they only got two out of the three there. But it says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Um, guess uh, it's tend my sheep did not fit on there. But anyways, word on the street is that it was the cornerstone for the preschool. Now, rest in peace, preschool. DCFS took it away. There weren't enough emergency exits. All right? But, you know, gives another meaning of what we got to say here. But let's condense it all into one short, pithy thing. Feed my lambs, Jesus says. Tend my sheep, Jesus says. Feed my sheep, Jesus says. Now, primarily, this is Jesus telling me, your pastor, how I can love him basically for the rest of my life. I can love Jesus by pastoring you and by feeding you the word and by feeding your children the word. But besides that, it's Jesus telling y'all, Y'all Christians, feed one another. Forgive each other. Talk about Jesus' life and work. Talk about his apostles' life and work. Talk about the prophecies that spoke of him. Talk about the things from all the way back in Exodus that pointed to him. But it all also boils down to... Feed the young ones. Sometimes for us older people, myself included, it means don't get angry with them too quick. Don't ignore them. Learn their names. Talk to them. Go out of your way. Give them a role model in an adult that's outside of their parents. In a relationship that is religious and spiritual. So that we don't fall into future pew research that says two-thirds of young adults left the church because they didn't have a religious role model outside their parents. Give them someone to talk to. Someone that will listen. But don't let them step all over you. Bring them up in the Lord. Parents, Jesus is telling you, feed your lambs. Read Bible stories with them. Pray with them before you go to sleep. Pray with them before meals. Come to the divine service with them so they can learn how to worship God. Teach Sunday school once a month. With our aim being that they worship at this altar let alone any altar in 20, 30 years. But never forget, 
Christ, the risen lamb, works through his church and will do that work of calling people and raising them through the church, for he alone is worthy to open that scroll, hold it, and read it. He alone can give faith, and he alone will preserve not only the church, but this church, this altar. For he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen.